Turn to Jeremiah chapter 10 again. Jeremiah chapter 10. We're going to do a warning call, a warning call from a loving God. I think this is part three. Now, if you missed last week, we mentioned quite extensively on the wrongs of the abortion issue you uh, voted on in the referendum, if you want, in the Republic last week. Uh, we won't be touching that again. We felt led to speak about that and how God still loves people. How he still loves them. Thank God he loves them because he's not, if it was up to me, he, he wouldn't love me either. It's up to him he set his love on us. So we want to read Jeremiah 10, verse 1. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, and work the work of, work of the hands of the workman with the axe. They dag it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O King of nations? For to thee doth appertain for as much as among in all the wise men of the nations. And in all their kingdoms there is none like unto you. They are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanity. When we look at how we have spoken of, there's a spiritual wickedness in high places. Not only in uh, Britain and United States, but around the world. Spiritual wickedness in high places where there are invisible demonic forces working on men's hearts, women's hearts, even government leaders' hearts, to ensnare and to entrap the people into deciding and to thinking everything else but about God, about his law, his word, his commandments. And we've looked at it over the last couple of weeks and so we're going to look at it again this week. I may need one more week because we sang and this, the Spirit of God was here this morning. We were well aware of that, so we wanted to give you time just to enjoy the presence of the Lord. But, you know, let's worship and enjoy the presence of the Lord in His Word now. We continue in worship that way. Listen to a quote from John Knox, the Scottish reformer. He says, I know that, I, that many do blame me and do blame my too rigor and severity. But God knows that in my heart I never hated the persons against whom I thundered God's judgments. I hated only their sin and labored according to my power to bring them to Christ, who also placed me in this function and ministry and will hold me to account. John Knox said that he preached with thunder, with judgment of God, 
with authority. And he says, I never hated the people. My heart doesn't hate them. But he hates what he sees, and he hated the spirit behind it. And he says that he was aware that one day he, as a preacher, would give an account to God. And this morning, what we want to look at is the church then in the nation, and the nation, but the church in the nation, the responsibility of the church. Now, it's not only the preacher, but I would say every blood-washed, born-again believer has a responsibility to tell someone of the need of Christ. But we find in many places, find in many pulpits, many churches, that they teach everything but Christ. Not trying to be hard, not trying to be difficult, but it's hard to find Christ in their sermon. Hard to find him when really it should be hard to find anything else but Christ in the sermon. What's the difference? John Knox was well aware that he must preach in spite of the opposition. People think John Knox, even later John Wesley, and others like him, even William Booth and all of those old preachers. Some people think like Charles Hatton Spurgeon. They never had problems. See, they were great preachers. These people came against great trials. Opposition in the nation, in the cities, in the towns where they lived. And in fact, many of them were kicked out to the fields. The preacher out in the fields, that was their their pulpit, their congregation were those who they could gather. And sometimes those whom they gathered to preach to were few and far between except for the cows and the sheep that were maybe in the field. That was their congregation. They were hated. George Jeffries in the early Pentecostal movement was hated. Even though George Jeffries was known as the, the revivalist and the reformer, he was hated for it. So when you think, well, I could be hated, it seems like all of these people done so well and there was no opposition. That's not true. For right through the scriptures from Jeremiah and our reading, right through, they all had opposition. Jeremiah ended up in a pit. So we're going to have opposition. And Christian, it's where you are in your responsibility with the gospel. Let's be honest now. Where are you and where you are matters. With your responsibility with what Christ has given you. Especially the preacher in the pulpit. Somebody like me. I will give an account. You see, John Knox was preaching early in the mornings. Outside in the fields around Edinburgh. We're told that one man, there's a story of one man. A believer was going out about five in the morning with many others to hear John Knox preaching in a field. Five o'clock in the morning church. Imagine having to get up for that time for church. And there he is in the field in the open air ready to preach. And this man happens to look and seen an atheist, a man who was a known atheist, who really did not believe in God whatsoever, stood against the things of God, going out to listen to John Knox preaching. And so the man, the Christian man, said to the atheist, what are you doing here? Sure, you don't even believe in God. Why are you going out to hear John Knox? And the man said to the Christian, I don't believe in God. I'm going out because John Knox does. Because John Knox does. See, people need to know that you believe in God, but greater still, 
It's not just God or any God, it's Jesus, that He is your Savior, that He is your God. And the church has been so vibrated and put down, especially today with what we would have is the political correctness in the nation and the things that come in. Now, you're not to hurt, nor to purposely go out to hurt anyone. And John Knox himself said he didn't want to hurt anyone. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He didn't go out to hurt anyone. He was weeping because his heart was sore for Judah at this time, for Israel. You see, the weeping heart will speak much, but it's what your heart weeps for. If your heart weeps because you know your loved ones or you know those who are in society today and have gone astray because they are living a lifestyle in such a way that is detriment to their salvation or detriment that they, to their own health and life and to others. You weep for that because they're a lost soul, maybe. Oh, Richard Baxter, he was, uh, forgive me for a few quotes. I was jotting these down. I was sitting in my study early like this morning as I would. And these came to my mind. I just thought I would jot them down. Richard Baxter, the Puritan, he was known as the Reformed Pastor. That's the, there's a book out called The Reformed Pastor you can read. You know what he said about preaching, about witnessing? He said, screw the truth into men's minds. You see, in today's pulpit, many of them are not only not screwing the truth into men's minds, but they're not telling the truth themselves at all. Mysticism has come into the church. Even some Celtic mysticism has come into the church. Things that are anathema to Christ, anathema to God, have come into the church. Ecumenical worship, which is not true worship, has come into the church, especially and sadly to the Pentecostal church. We find here the Lord warns the people, don't learn the way of the heathen. And he says, neither to follow their customs. Listen again to Richard Baxter. He says, if a hardened heart is to be broken... I'll say it again. If a hardened heart is to be broken, broken, it is not by stroking, but striking that must do it. And what happens is we're afraid as Christians now, it's all love me do, isn't it? God is love. And we'll look at that in a moment. God is love. The Bible tells us it distinctly in two verses, but it shows it the whole way through the Scriptures that God is love. But love is not all that God is. And in his heart of love, he sends forth the gospel. He sends forth you, me, the preaching of the word. He sends forth those who are unafraid and unashamed to stand up, to speak out, and to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the heart of love. For God knows there's a world going to hell in a handcart, as it were, when many think they're wafting to heaven in their religious handbasket. Notice this. Richard Baxter said again, excuse me for all of these, but these are gems. 
He says, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. Richard Baxter, every time he climbed the pulpit, every time he opened the word of God to preach unto his congregation, he preached as though it was his last time, as though he would never preach again, knowing there were dying men and women in the congregation, and he is a dying man preaching to them, as if there was never going to be another opportunity, as if there was never going to be another chance to get the word of God over to them. So he preached with all that he had. He preached the truths of the word of God that men and women might be saved that the church might be blessed and built up. And listen, that even the church, that even the church may be scolded at times by the word and chastened by God to draw it back into line. That's how I would like to be. I trust that every time I personally climb the pulpit, to you and whoever else hears out there, no matter how hard they think I am, I'm not. I'm like what John Knox said, I, my heart doesn't hate anybody. It was never to hurt but the truth. It's like a two-edged sword. It's very sharp and it cuts. Last quote, and again from Richard Baxter. Listen to what he says, church. It is a fearful thing to be an unsanctified professor. That is a professor in Christ. It is a fearful thing to be an unsanctified professor, but much more to be an unsanctified preacher. How many pulpits do we hear these things from today in the year 2018? Where they climb up into their pulpit and they preach about how to have a blessed life. Your best life now. Ten ways to have a good day. One hundred blessings when you sow your seed to receive everything that you'll ever need. They talk about Auntie Aggie and her sore toe and they get a sermon out of it. There was a woman climbed the pulpit some years ago and a friend of ours went out to this meeting and this woman minister climbed the pulpit. And she opened up the children's comic book, The Mr. Men. And she related those who are in Christ to the Mr. Men. Mr. Gropey today. Well, there you are, Sister. Mr. Bump, you're maybe you're clumsy. You know, all of these things that were on this used to be the cartoon television. She preached from this. You see, Richard Baxter says, but much more to be an unsanctified preacher. Listen to what he says. Doth it not make you tremble when you open the Bible? lest you should read the sentence of your own condemnation. Wow. Ken Davidson goes into a study. He gets an idea, a thought from the Lord, maybe in prayer. He starts to read it, and as soon as he opens it up, 
sometimes it just really blesses. But as it's blessing, sometimes it just comes right out and says, I'm talking to you. Ken Davidson, I'm talking to you. It's a bit frightening. It's frightening. The word of God, if it does not speak to the preacher first, it will never speak to the people in the pew. If the preacher is not sanctified, if the preacher is not a preacher of the word, then brother, stand down. In our reading this morning, Jeremiah is exasperated and with an exclamation at looking at what is happening all around him. Notice what he says in verse 7. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? See, the people don't know who he is. They have been fed the lie that God is one of the heathen gods or He's one of the many gods. They've been fed the lie and, and the people start to get an idea of their own and what they're doing is they're forming an idol in their own mind of who God is. Breaking the commandments of God. That's what society does, you see. They become frightened. They become afraid and they start to succumb. They become lustful in their own ways and start to burn at what God wants for them, it's really not what they want at this present time. But you see, brothers and sisters, the thing is, God is sovereign. Who believes in the sovereignty of God? I believe in the full sovereignty of God. And today what we're told is, God's sovereign, but you can do things outside of His sovereign will, and, you know, He'll have to go along with it. God is sovereign, full stop. And the idea of it here is, is uh, Jeremiah says, who would not fear thee? Because Jeremiah has got a reality of God. He's got a reality. He's met Christ, in other words. He's had this experience, this encounter with God. And he says, who would not fear thee? He says, my eyes are running down like streams of water for this people because I know their destined end. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations, he cries. You see, church, in 1 John chapter 4, you can mark it and read it later in verse 6 and in verse 18, it both says God is love in the two verses. God is love. Um, in other words, it's an attribute of God. It's something attributed to the character and nature of God. That's what it means. It's an attribute of God. God is continuously love. He is but God has, it's not an attribute of God, God has wrath. And the thing is, he has wrath against the ungodly. He has wrath against the things that we see happening. He has wrath, but sometimes the wrath that he has for the ungodly, it almost seems to mirror the chastisement of his people. But there's a difference. Turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 7, please. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's read verse, verse 6. 
Notice what the Lord says. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, you see, when you read that today, people think you're either some superiority complex about you or you're a bigot or you're a racist or you're something else. God says this. Notice this. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. So the thing is that God set his love on you. I was prayed this morning. God set his love on you. The thing is, when God sets his love on you, God does not lift his love off you. So he says to his own, he set his love upon you. He chose you, and he chose you because why? Because he could. And he didn't look at your strength. He didn't look who you were. He didn't look at your status in society. He chose you even though you were the weakest, the foolishness. Of course, this is rehearsed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 along these lines. Look at verse 8. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen and from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now he says, because he loves you and because of the word, the promise of God, he's redeemed you. He's speaking to Israel here and he says, he's redeemed you. Now here's the thing, brothers and sisters, in the new covenant, the Egypt, uh, Egypt is, is a, a type of the world here. And you and I in our unsaved lost state with all the heathen gods that we worshipped, I didn't worship a heathen god, did you not? You didn't worship the god of football and the god of pop stars, the god of actors and actresses, Hollywood. Maybe you worshiped in a church where it was full of religion and pomp and ceremony. No spirit, no Christ. Christ not found in the sermon. Rather, the sermon trying to be found around Christ. He worshipped other gods. Here it talks about cutting down wood as well. Jeremiah 10 talks about cutting down trees. And by the way, there's another study on that. What about Christmas time? Ah, I'm almost sore. And you deck them with gold and silver. Don't want to get myself into any more trouble this morning. (laughs) That's a study for another time. And in that he's saying, learn not the way of the heathen. Notice this. Verses 68 is a reason to worship, a reason to praise, and a reason to serve. I'm going to say it again. The verses we read from Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8. Read it when you go home. It's a reason to worship him. It's a reason to praise him. And it's a reason to serve him. Why? He hath redeemed thee out of Egypt. 
He hath redeemed thee. How did he redeem your brother, sister? By the blood of the Lamb. He redeemed you by the blood of his Son. He redeemed you through the cross where Christ shed his blood. Verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face. There's people out there and they hate him. They hate him. They hate Christ. They hate the Lord Jesus. They hate God. They hate his word. They hate his commandments. They hate, his, they hate anything to do with him. They hate the Christian. The Christian buckles and buys onto their wills and their wants and their whims. And see, when you say something against it, every other Christian attacks themselves rather than standing together for truth. They attack one another. I'm sure I'll get attacked because I mentioned the Christmas tree. Notice this. And repair them that hate him to their face to destroy them. Hold on a minute. This was a God of love two verses ago, wasn't it? This was the God of love. Set his love on you. Set his love on his own, on Israel. Now, he's a God of judgment. People say, God loves everyone and there's no hate in God. Well, the scripture says, he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Notice this. The Lord says he will hate them to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Verse 11. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Here is the warning from a God of love. I have set my love on you. I love you. Now those that hate me, well, I'll hate them. Wow. That's the Old Testament God, isn't it? Our God isn't like that anymore, you see. There's nearly a different God you hear about in the New Testament, isn't there? But he's not. He's the same same God. But in the middle, he places the gibbet of love, the cross of Calvary. Here is a warning call from a loving God. I love you so much, he says, I've given my son for you. Now those who refuse him and those who deny him and do not come to him and place their trust in him, well, we're told in the scriptures that God will send his son in the clouds. The Lord himself shall be revealed in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Notice, God will send his son in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them. Where's the love of God? Where is the love of God? The love of God remains the same. He did it at Calvary. He displayed it once and for all. He gave him for you. And those who have rejected him, well, God's done all he's going to do. And listen, I say this with reverence toward God. God's done all he can do.
if you go with me to Hebrews, I'll tell you what, we'll leave Hebrews now, but maybe have come back to it. Go to um, the book of, try to remember this off by, off by hand, uh, Ezekiel, please. Go to the book of Ezekiel. And verse, chapter 33, verse 7. Chapter 33, verse 7. Ezekiel's a man who's in captivity with Judah at the river Kibar. Judgment has happened to Jerusalem and Judah here. Verse 7, listen to what he says. So thou, O son of man, see the word son of man here, it means son of dust. Almighty God looks at the prophet and he said, you're just a son of dust. Notice, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. That's old covenant. Like, well, let's, let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 13, please. This is especially to the ministers and the pastors and the preachers. And, and, and as I said, this has come to me first. If it doesn't come to me, it's no good me saying it because I'd be in greater condemnation and judgment. Hebrews 13 And verse 17, Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. See, I'm, I'm trying to be a faithful shepherd to watch for your soul, and I know sometimes you think, you may think here, I don't know where he is doing or not, but you may think, I wish he'd give over. Tell us something easy. I wish he'd stop it and tell us just, how flowery things are going to be and how wonderful hearts, flowers and lovely popping heart balloons and all that sort of stuff. Not my ministry, sorry. It's not my ministry. I watch for your soul. Notice, as they, that's me, as they that give, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is profitable for you. Do you know what the writer's saying here? Ken Davidson and all those in leadership and all those, whether it's Church of England or whether it's a Roman Catholic Church or Presbyterian or Baptist, and you can go on down them all right the whole way through and name them all if you want. Everyone that stands behind the pulpit will give an account to God of how they have told you, taught you, warned you, or lifted you up and built you up in faith. There's going to be those who have come to maybe funeral services 
where the unsaved have come to church maybe once in a lifetime. They've maybe never even hardly been there before. And the minister gets up and talks a load of waffle and gobbledygook and stuff and nonsense. And you hear nothing of Christ and nothing of salvation and nothing of the blood and nothing of the gospel. And in all of that, they walk out the same way they come in and they're lost. That minister, that person, that preacher will stand before God one day and give an account for what they've done. Their blood will be upon their skirts. Their blood. I say this to me first again. But I say it to all of us who stand behind a pulpit and every Christian who has a chance to minister, to stand for the truth of Christ, but rather they don't. Say it to us all. You will stand before God. It's called the Bema Seat, not the great white throne judgment believer. We are exempt from the great white throne judgment. Thank the Lord. We will not be in a burning lake of fire. Praise God. But according to the scripture, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. The Bema Seat is to receive reward or loss. It's where the track runners would have run in the like of the games. And the winner came and the student silver, gold, silver, and bronze on the podiums. And we will be the same to give an account unto God. You see, let me just go to Romans 1 and we'll wrap it up here because time is really gone. I want you to get away home, get your, your dinner, your, whatever you have in the oven. Let you get plenty of time. No way you're coming back to church tonight. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, please. Notice what Paul says here. Let your eye run down to verse 16. Verse 15, pardon me. Verse 15. Just let me get a drink. Paul says, so as much as in me is, with all that I have, in other words, with all my mustard strength leaning in Christ, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, present tense, it is, brothers and sisters, not it will be, the gospel is. Would you say is? The gospel is. The gospel is. Would you say it? The gospel is. Present tense. Today. This morning. Or now just our afternoon. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's those who voted for a yes for abortion last week. If they repent and turn from their ways, the gospel still has the power. For those who have been found themselves even to have multiple abortion, God can still forgive. For those who have led a homosexual lifestyle, God will forgive. For those who have led a heterosexual lifestyle of, 
of partner after partner. God can still forgive for those who have committed adultery. God can still forgive for those who have been drunkards, for those who have been drug addicts, for those who have lived in sin for all of their life, God can still forgive. For those who have stood behind a platform and cried different things in the gospel, if they repent and turn from their wicked ways, God can still forgive. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is, as it is written, the just, the just shall live by faith. Notice, God of love, isn't he? Do you see the love of God in that? Now notice, for the wrath of God. Now let's be honest here. We're stopping here, but let's be honest. Let's be totally honest. How many churches? And I'm not against them. I'm just asking the truth. I believe it's a, for the preacher, for the pastor, for all of us, it's a, 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 a warning call from a loving God to them. Let's be honest. How many of them tell you about the wrath of God now? How many times have you went to maybe visit another place or there's been a dedication of a wee baby or, or, or a funeral or something? How many times have you heard of the wrath of God in it? You know what's happened? They come in and they entertain, the sh- they, they entertain them and the Spurgeon says there's coming a time when instead of, instead of feeding the sheep they'll entertain goats. Why do you say goats? It's not to be an insult. It means that people are coming in and out and they think they're saved and they're not. They're not saved. They think they're saved because they've come and there's been some sort of an altar call. Look, and I was saved in an altar call. I have nothing against that. But they haven't had a clear cut. They haven't had the gospel presented. And what they've heard is, if you want to have a good life, come up here and we'll pray with you. Now go away home. You belong to Jesus. And that's a lie. It's a lie. There's no word of God entered their heart. There's no word of God living in them. There's no change of life. And if there's no change of life, there's no Christ. If there's no change of life, there's no Christ. Notice what he says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against. Now we're in the New Testament here. We're in the New Covenant. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. Notice, in unrighteousness. Paul's speaking here about people who know better. You know better, he's saying. You know better. And you're still leading the people astray. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power 
and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Do you see when God stands man and woman in front of him on the day of judgment? The great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. Do you see when God stands man and woman in front of him? There's not one person will have, as we say, a leg to stand on. God will be justified in every action and every judgment that he makes and everything he does. There's no unrighteousness with God. And he will be justified. Why would a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't have to send them. They're all going. But he places his love and he calls them through the gospel. That's why ministers and preachers and pastors and Christians will stand and give an account to warn them from it. Notice this. Because that they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, unto birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to uncleanness. God at one point says, is that the way you want to go? Then off you go. If that's the way you want to act, then off you go. Through the loss of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, cause God gave them up to, unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not Convenient, and being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Not only those who do those things, but those who support it, in other words. We can't support it. You can't support abortion. Do you know who I've heard the most this week? And you know me, I have so much that I just do not agree with them. The Roman Catholic Church. I'm deafened by the silence of the Protestant churches. Deafened by it. And all those who come in and say, those, especially those politicians who come along and say, I'm a Christian. Some of them wearing their wee fish badge, you know. See, your fish badge, it means absolutely nothing. They stand with their wee fish badge on and they stand there bold as brass, proclaiming themselves to be believers. And they stand and say, well, I just want everybody to get on together. So do I. But that doesn't mean to say we have to support everything they do. 
finish with what John Knox said. This isn't from a heart of hate or wanting hurt, but a heart of love. God loves those people. But he set the cross that they might be saved. Just the way he did with me, a guilty sinner in need of salvation. Brothers and sisters, I will close and send this. This pulpit and CET, and I promise you this, as long as I'm here, I don't know who takes one after me, but as long as I'm here, I will not be supporting these things. I will keep preaching what God gave me. We will stand by the word in spite of opposition. And should God sift the church of those who no longer want to stand for the truth, then leave us with a dozen. And you know I love every one of you. Say that. I'm not being arrogant or ignorant in saying that. But those who want to, don't want to stand with the truth, then we'll keep on standing for God will raise a remnant up to keep standing for the truth of his word. So God bless every single one of us according to the word of God to our hearts this morning. Amen.